Hello and welcome to Christmas Alphabet Podcast, where we explore Christmas in alphabetical order. And this is episode F. If you enjoy Christmas all year round, then this is the podcast for you, with Christmas traditions and history and music, both spiritual and secular. We come from a British perspective, but we have a worldwide vision. And if you're one of those people who likes to sort your books and files and DVDs into alphabetical order, so you know where everything is, then you're in the right place. Because we do Christmas one letter at a time. I'm Wayne, I'm your host on this podcast, and thank you for being here And thank you for your kind comments. Thank you to all those who have been to our Facebook page, which is called Christmas Alphabet. The page had 576 likes the last time I checked, which is great. Well done, thanks. Hi to Kayleen Hardy-Hunt, who was saying nice things about us on Facebook. That was a while back. It took me a little while to respond to you, Kayleen. Sorry about that. But do get back to me with any comments uh, on Facebook or in any other way, and I'll give you a mention. Please do subscribe so you get every episode coming straight to your phone or your device or however you listen to this. So here we go with letter F on the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. This is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast and F is for food and feasting. Christmas and food go together like Santa and his elves. See last episode. In fact, feasting has always been part of a midwinter festival. I've just been reading a new book out for Christmas 2021 called At Christmas We Feast. See our Facebook page for a picture of that book. It's by the food writer and historian Annie Gray. The book is certainly worth your time and money, though personally I'd have preferred a bit more history and not so many recipes, because I'm not really a cook. But it is a great book. Annie Gray gives us chapter after chapter on Christmas food traditions from the medieval to the Tudor and the Victorian to wartime food and modern Christmas food developments. One interesting thing that the book made me think about was that in days gone by there were foods that were served at times of feasting, but not so many that were just Christmas food. In the days when the Christmas feast lasted for 12 full days of Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas from December the 25th to January the 5th, then you couldn't have your Christmas dinner every day. But special foods were served that were celebratory, but not necessarily so much Christmassy. It's only really in pretty modern times that we, at least we in Britain, have decided that some food is for Christmas Day, and not for any other day. Let me tell you about the British Christmas dinner. The centrepiece of a British Christmas dinner for most families is roast turkey. These days, they say, about half of families actually eat turkey on Christmas Day. Perhaps a bit more than half, but not much more than that. There are an increasing number of vegetarians, of course, who will have a a plant-based option on Christmas Day. There's also a fair number of people in Britain who don't celebrate Christmas, perhaps for religious reasons or other reasons. And then there are alternative Christmas meats that people choose instead of turkey. Maybe goose or beef, traditional things like that, or less traditional options like chicken or pork. But still, in Britain, 
the turkey is king. Sometimes a full turkey. Becoming uh, more popular these days is what they call a turkey crown, which is the turkey without its legs and pre-prepared and easier to cook and to carve. Traditional accompaniments to the turkey are roast potatoes. In Britain, the roast potato is much more important than the mashed potato, which I must admit I've never had mash on Christmas Day, just roasties. Then there's the Brussels sprouts. Uh, I think I'm one of the few people who actually enjoy eating sprouts. Most people, in truth, just put up with them because it's tradition and because it's Christmas. The rest of your plate is filled with other veg, parsnips, cauliflower maybe. And then there's the obligatory stuffing, which tends to be meatier than usual at Christmas. For many, there's also pigs in blankets, If you've not come across that, they're small sausages wrapped in a rasher of bacon, known as pigs in blankets for some reason. And on top of all that, there's your gravy, and these days as well, cranberry sauce, which is a fairly recent import from the US, which has caught on over here. And more traditionally, though seen less often on British Christmas dinners, bread sauce, which is still a favourite of mine, but going out of favour, I think. An essential part of the traditional British Christmas dinner is the Christmas pudding. That's not to say everyone eats it, <laughs> but a lot of people buy Christmas puddings. The supermarket ones are the most popular by far these days. They're easily heated in the microwave as part of doing Christmas properly. Yeah, you don't have to boil your Christmas pudding anymore. You can just microwave it. If you've never had a Christmas pudding, it's a solid, rich, sweet fruit pudding full of dried fruit as well as flour and eggs and spices and often lots of alcohol added to it. What we call Christmas pudding these days comes from the old plum pudding, which never had plums in it. The word plum pudding simply referred to dried fruits. Before that, in medieval days, there was a fruity porridge F for frumenty, which was rich and full of fruit uh, and wheat. The word frumenty comes from wheat and was eaten on Christmas morning and was an ancestor of the Christmas pudding. These days, Christmas pudding is as much part of Christmas as turkey and sprouts, even if often you're too full to manage more than a spoonful. In a previous generation, the pudding would have been steamed for hours in a cloth over a massive pan of boiling water. Then brandy would be poured over it and it would be set alight as it was brought to the table. Even though we eat ours out of the microwave with a splash of cream, I still think of Mrs Cratchit when we have Christmas pudding and that magnificent scene in A Christmas Carol. Let me read a bit of that to you. Dickens writes this. Mrs Cratchit left the room alone too nervous to bear witness to take the pudding up and bring it in hello a great deal of steam the pudding was out of the copper which smells like a washing day that was the cloth a smell like an eating house and a pastry cooks next door to each other with a lawn dresses next door to that that was the pudding in half a minute mrs cratchit entered flushed but smiling proudly with the pudding 
like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quarter of ignited brandy, and bedight with Christmas holly stuck unto the top. F is for food and feasting. One more F I'll squeeze in here that is Christmas food is F for fruit cake, which is very popular in Britain, but as I understand it, not so popular in the States. Fruit cake is not just for Christmas. In Yorkshire, where I used to live, we love a piece of fruit cake with cheese, especially Yorkshire's own Wensleydale cheese. But fruit cake is most often eaten at Christmas and is known as Christmas cake. Historically, it comes from a rich fruit cake known as Twelfth cake, and was always eaten on Twelfth night, the end of the twelve days of Christmas. Christmas cake, which these days is always fruit cake, is rich and sweet and packed full of dried fruit. It's a heavy and rich cake, best eaten in small slices. But do try it. Try it with a strong cheese. It's very good. This is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast, and I'm your host, Wayne. Today we're looking at the letter F, and F is for Father Christmas. What, Santa Claus, you mean? No, I mean Father Christmas. Now, it is true that in the last 50 years, maybe more than that, the British Father Christmas has merged into the American Santa Claus. But they are, or certainly were, two different characters, two different people from different backgrounds with very different histories. They wore different clothes for a start, and you can tell Santa apart from Father Christmas by what they wear. Santa Claus wears a short red jacket with a red hat on his head, while Father Christmas wears a long red robe with a big hood that's part of the robe. And traditionally, Santa and Father Christmas eat different things that are left out for him on Christmas Eve. Santa eats cookies and milk, that's the American tradition, while Father Christmas expects British children to leave him mince pies and sherry when he visits. But that difference is just scratching the surface. Let's do a bit of history. Santa Claus is part of the St. Nicholas tradition, which grew in the States from the Dutch community in New York. We'll come back to him in the letter S. But Father Christmas has a different history. Father Christmas started out in England many hundreds of years ago as the personification of Christmas, of the celebration of Christmas, particularly in various songs and plays. He was known as Old Christmas or Sir Christmas or Father Christmas, uh, various names for the same character. He was the host of the feast, the bringer of joy and joviality. When Dickens gave us the ghost of Christmas present in A Christmas Carol, he was bringing back the old ideas of Father Christmas. That's what Father Christmas looked like. He was the one who was surrounded by the horns of plenty and all the good things of Christmas. Father Christmas gets a mention in a poem way back in the 1400s. 
and then gets a part in a play in the 1500s when the playwright Ben Johnson includes him in an entertainment for King James I. In that play, he's the father of the Christmas family, which includes misrule and mince pie and plum pudding as members of the family. He is literally the father of Christmas. And this Father Christmas already has a long beard and is dressed in a robe. And over the centuries, that robe gets uh, trimmed with fur and Father Christmas gets fat and jolly with holly in his hair. This old Father Christmas was never the bringer of gifts. He wasn't someone who brought presents for children. That only came about when the American Santa Claus, who was always a gift giver, uh, was the one who gave presents to good girls and boys, got mingled with the British Father Christmas. By the early 20th century, Father Christmas had started looking and acting a lot like the American Santa Claus. When J.R.R. Tolkien, of Lord of the Rings fame, wrote Christmas stories for his children, which he started to do in 1920, uh, and these were published as the Father Christmas Letters, we there read of a Father Christmas who lives at the North Pole, helped out by elves, and the details of that sound very much like the ideas of the American Santa Claus. And these days, most people, certainly every child in Britain, sees Father Christmas and Santa Claus as two names of the same person. I find that a bit sad because we're losing that British distinctive, really, of Father Christmas. One modern story that has given new life to the character of Father Christmas is the picture book called Father Christmas by Raymond Briggs, which, with its sequel, Father Christmas Goes on Holiday, has been made into an animated film. If you haven't heard of this, you may have seen the animated film The Snowman, which is by the same author and animated in a similar way. Father Christmas is drawn and his story is told by Raymond Briggs in such a a delightful way. He's brought to life in the film with the voice of Mel Smith. He's a British, ordinary working man with a grumpy exterior, but with a warm heart. And he's a great character. Uh, happy blooming Christmas, he says. F is for Father Christmas, who's not the same person as Santa Claus, though they must be closely related somehow. This is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. Today we're on the letter F, and F is for the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols. You know I love Christmas carols, and one of the best-loved Christmas traditions for Christians, or for those who like to remember the origins of Christmas, is the carol service. Most churches these days have a service on Christmas Eve or maybe the Sunday before Christmas which is centred on singing traditional carols. A lot of people go to carol services, even if they're not believers, just to enter into the Christmas spirit and let the simple message of a baby born in Bethlehem touch their hearts. It wasn't always this way. Not so long ago, in the scheme of things, churches looked down on Christmas carols. They didn't have a place in church. But then one man decided to use Christmas music to tell the whole story of the birth of Jesus, 
from its Old Testament origins in the prophets and the histories in the Old Testament right through to the visit of the angel to Mary and to the birth of Jesus and the family escaping to Egypt. A sequence of nine Bible readings and nine carols relevant to those readings was constructed to explain the whole plan of God's salvation. It was named the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols, and it influences every carol service that has been held in every Christian tradition since then. The Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols was devised by the Bishop of Truro, a city in Cornwall in the southwest of England. This man was called Edward Benson, and as a bishop and a former teacher, he wanted to communicate the Christmas message to all people, young and old, in simple terms. The Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols started in Truro Cathedral on Christmas Eve in 1880. It was soon taken up famously by the choir of King's College, Cambridge, who have developed the tradition and still maintain that idea of the traditional carol service, which is always begun with a solo boy chorister singing Once in Royal David City. And traditionally those nine readings are done by nine people who mark out the hierarchy from a choir boy through to a, a bishop or an archbishop bringing the final reading from John's Gospel. But that festival of nine lessons and carols is not just a tradition in itself. It revived the singing of carols in churches and the whole idea of having carol services to bring in people who wouldn't usually go to church, an idea that's now taken up by nearly every church. F is for the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols. This is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. Today we're looking at all things Christmas, starting with the letter F. We're going to finish with a song story in a bit, uh, but first, those things that nearly made it into this podcast, but didn't quite get there. Lots of Fs. I struggle with E, as I think you realise. There weren't so many things beginning with E, but there were lots of things I could have included in this F episode. F is for the flight to Egypt. Not a plane ride, but the traditional description that's made for Mary and Joseph taking the young Jesus into Egypt to escape from Herod, as described in Matthew's Gospel. This flight uh, made Jesus a refugee and also reenacted the history of the family of Jacob who went into Egypt for refuge 1,500 years earlier and then came back into their promised land. F is for the flight to Egypt. We could have also looked at F for frankincense, the gift given to Jesus by the wise men. Frankincense is a, a tree resin that was burned as a sign of the presence of God with his people. F is also for a, a couple of songs I might have included. One is Feliz Navidad, 
a joyful Christmas song from 1970 by Jose Feliciano. The title simply means Happy Christmas. It's a great song. There's also the Christmas carol, The First Noel. That could have been my F song. It's a traditional English carol from Cornwall. But to be honest, the words of that annoy me. So we're finishing this F episode of the Christmas Alphabet podcast, as we do with another song. This is the Christmas Alphabet podcast. And F is for... Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman was a jolly happy soul With a corncob pipe and a button nose And his eyes made out of coal Frosty the Snowman was born in song. He came to life in a song written in 1950 by Jack Rollins and Steve Nelson. The previous year, the singing cowboy... Gene Autry had achieved a hit record with the Christmas song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Rollins and Nelson saw the opportunity for a follow-up. The story in the song is of a snowman. He has a corncob pipe. Uh, That's a smoking pipe with the bowl made out of a corncob which I had to look up but it seems that it is a traditional cheap cob pipe that is often thrown away and found in rubbish dumps. The snowman has a nose made out of a button and pieces of coal for his eyes. But this snowman comes to life when a group of children put a magic old top hat on him. But then the sun comes out and as snowmen do, Frosty has to leave them. This story was told in simple words and set to a simple melody and the song was offered to Gene Autry. He eagerly recorded it, looking for another hit record and it did indeed reach number seven in the US pop charts. Other singers saw the value in the song and that same year, 1950, the song was also released and charted by Jimmy Durante and Nat King Cole. Other cover versions followed, including the Ronettes, who recorded the song for the groundbreaking Phil Spector album, A Christmas Gift for You, in 1963. Frosty the Snowman is seen these days as a children's Christmas song. And that's partly because of an animated short film made in 1969 by Rankin Bass that's on the television every year in the US as far as I know it's never been shown in the UK though over here we can see it on YouTube but it's America's version of The Snowman I suppose which we get every year over here the animated programme features Jimmy Durante as a a narrator and a singer and the storylines based on the lyrics of the song stretched out to a 30-minute programme. What the TV special does is to connect the song Frosty with Christmas because it features Santa Claus and it claims that Frosty is made out of Christmas snow, whatever that is. F is for Frosty the Snowman. This is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne, And we're coming to the end of our episode for the letter F. 
All the music on this podcast is in the public domain or used for review purposes. Please do subscribe to the Christmas Alphabet podcast and get your Christmas-loving friends to subscribe as well. Follow us on social media at Christmas Alphabet Podcast on Facebook, easy to find, or at Christmas Alpha on Twitter, Christmas Alphabet also on Instagram. Uh, Please give us a follow and please leave us a review, particularly on Facebook and on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. We've also got a website, christmasalphabet.com. You can hear all the episodes there and you can send me a note as well through the website or simply at the email address wayne at christmasalphabet.com. I'll be back in two weeks. We have one of these episodes every fortnight, as we say in Britain, every two weeks, with G, G for gift-giving, and the Angel Gabriel, and the Goose, and Gold, and maybe a Christmas episode of Gavin and Stacey, and a Christmas song beginning with G. So what will that be? Will it be Go Tell It on the Mountain, or God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, or Good King Wenceslas? Well, we really are spoilt for choice. Please subscribe and please spread the word. Thank you so much. And may the joy of Christmas be with you all year round.